We're in the the Civic. We've just finished the second intermission of the second Daniel Shiten Sound Shiten Showdown for the Crown 2021 colon 3.0 1.0.1 Thrice Upon a Time. And we're calling this episode Coda. The death of Michael Corleone. Because it's the third part yeah. in a trilogy. Yeah. Well, and, and we always had this idea for giving them the three individual names because it was always going to be three. Mm. And we're not just trapped in a time slip trying to break what we recorded thinking were two episodes into three. That would be both foolish and embarrassing. Our host, Paddington, is welcoming the audience back, cleaning up all the orange juice, called the, the magic brooms. From The Magician's Apprentice, part of Fantasia, and we're, oh no, the racist centaurs are here, you know, the the black But but you know what? At least Mickey Mouse isn't here. We're talking in terms of Fantasia characters, I'd much rather hang out with those racist centaurs than Mickey Mouse. One of the least charismatic characters in the history of fiction. Mickey Mouse fucking sucks shit. I uh, don't get what people see in him. I think it is incredible for you to start, like, here's our most approachable episode. <laughs> Here is, we take this, we declare the best film of the year. We're going to talk about the best acting, the yeah. best writing, the best directing of this year, and the year 2018, <laughs> and your gambit. I hate the most popular character in the history of the world. No, no. Yeah, yeah. You don't hate Hello Kitty. The most mm. successful franchise by turnover in mm. the world, yeah. And second is Pokemon. And third, weirdly... Yuri Boyka, Scott Adkins' <laughs> character from the Undisputed series. Yeah, and, and of course the fourth is the Observer Visitor character from eight of the ten Decalogue shorts. <laughs> the world's just gone Decalogue mad. Yeah, and- TikTok is full of Kozlowski stands. It seems like only yesterday but all those Kozlowski stands got together to book all those seats of a Donald Trump rally. <laughs> and it is, it's so crazy watching, you know, because I've loved Kozlowski for for so long seeing now people do like fan edits uh, of a short film about killing and that that lead killer kid it's so and they're all like he's so cute i could change him and like i can't tell if they're sincere or ironic but it's just it's crazy to see it yeah it's cool to see all those camera buff fan cams right paddington is finishing cleaning up all that thing he's ready to bring our first presenter on. Before we get to that, it should remind you of a couple of things. When we get to our category awards, um, I have not nominated anyone who was in any of our 16 uh, shortlisted films, the yeah. films in the knockout bracket. And I have refused to nominate anyone who's won an Oscar for one of these movies this year. All that is left to do before to, to quickly pour one out from the films we have lost from our shortlist up until now. Uh, uh, <clears throat> another round. James and Itzy, The Green Knight, Judas and the Black Messiah, The Nest, Power of the Dog, That Jewel Bite. It was the last one, you know. Yeah. Had to had to go. Summer of Soul. Man, I just keep thinking about how good Summer of Soul is. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, the French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun. Finished rewatching that with Briar last night. And, man, I know I'm pathetic. But, like, of, like, when <laughs> Leia Sadu is sternly being like, I'm not going to kill you because you're going to do the fucking work. <laughs> Because I believe in you because you're a genius. Yeah. Is that what you want? 
is that and then she snaps it for a second and he's like no he's desperately and I just got to talk turn to Briar and be like genuinely I don't think I've seen a thing that better captures what my love for you feels like than this relationship <laughs> uh, so I'm single Briar's moving out Oh no, I want to be clear, as the loser, I have to move out, as the one who fucked it. I just really shouldn't have gone, I cannot wait until Edwin Norton kidnaps our child. And she was like, we don't have a kid. And then I was like, yes, we do. And I started cradling the baby Yoda doll I bought her for Christmas last year. Anyway, uh, there's so much to look forward to uh, in this episode. And the final part, we've got our final two quarter finals. The father versus the Matrix. <laughs> Holy shit. And then Dune versus Avon Galleon, which is, who? Oh, I wonder if that will be a debate for the ages. <laughs> and then, of course, our two semifinals and then our final really we just get to talk so much about the films we loved the most this year best actor best actress best writer best director is such good shit have fun we'll see you next week which is in fact now for us All right. One started as a play. The other started as the the Matrix. (laughs) It is. There are more connections that could be drawn between these films, but it would be spoiled for spoilers for the Matrix Resurrections. It is the Father versus the Matrix Resurrections. One, two, three. The, the Father. Ah, oh, okay. I like. I'm so fucking in it for the Matrix Resurrections. Yeah. Let Let me tell you that. What is pushing me to the Father mm. is like as much as the Matrix is, is a film that essentially says it is pointless to make a fourth matrix film look i'll show you how what you should do is something like this look how much cooler that is and the thing is is that it's the same amount of cool it's not but it's still great my heart soars keanu carrie ann jessica henwick jessica henwick in the glasses oh my god uh yaha abdul mateen the second like Jada Pinkett Smith Jonathan Groff Neil Patrick Harris when did I think I would be celebrating Neil Patrick Harris almost all of the cast of Sense8 but also it is like that film exists because the Warner Brothers were like we're going to make a fourth Matrix and Lana was like no I don't want to and then Warner Brothers like okay we'll do it with someone else and Lana was like fine whereas the father was a a passion project to express this one thing the father is to explore aging in a unique 
and cinematic way, getting together a cast like Rufus Seal, Olivia Coleman, Tony Hopkins, Mark Gatiss, Imogen Poot, Olivia Williams, getting their career best work out of them. And those are all actors with already high career highs. And doing that with his his first film working in a language that's not his. Yeah. Working in a medium that is not his medium. Yeah. Like a lot of focus on, of the film lands on those final moments, Mm. which are like uh, uh, the, the grand Canyon of feeling and Uluru of, of brilliance, but it is a whole film building to that point. And that his, passion of building something so finely machined to express that point and build to that moment the call i am making is that i value that over someone going like oh well it might as well be me lily do you want anything to do with it and lily's like no i'm working on the tv show uh the one no one's heard of it's just like i hear it's quite good yeah i should check it out anyway and like lana then going like okay how do i extend the metaphor of the matrix yeah working out how to do it and then making an incredible statement on both franchise cinema and the modern condition the 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 father's goal is to make you sad yeah and to make you understand what it is like for tony hopkins character yeah the Matrix at a fundamental level is about cool shit. And the father is sadder than the Matrix is cool. And I think that comes from one being a passion project and one being a film that's literally being done. Lana Wachowski made the Matrix 4 for the same reason the star of Blubberella was in Blubberella. <laughs> Like, that is my argument. And that is not... I'm watching The Matrix with you at 9 fucking p.m. on Christmas Eve in IMAX. And, like, the beginning of that film... Oh, first, like, seeing the logos again and they're all digital. Yes. The falling code. Yes. And then being like, but they've always subverted what happens after the falling code. And then they do and you're like, yes. And then the things that happen happen and you're like... Oh my god. Yeah, like <laughs> the opening sequence of the Matrix Resurrections, when you realize like what they're doing, is so exciting. It is such a good joke from Lana. And and it is also one of the greatest cases of someone successfully mm. eating their cake and having it y- too. Yes, yeah. Like the film throughout is kind of constantly eating its cake and having it too. And the thing is, it never feels smug about it. Yeah. I know people would argue with that. And they're but wrong. yeah. Uh, uh we're the only correct people. Remember the certificate at Shitetown Pod. Uh, is it our pin tweet? It's, it's there Probably. somewhere. And the cake is delicious. And also, you're just so happy to see Lana with it. As much as, yeah, you're right. This is a movie like sort of made under duress. You can feel Lana like having both a good and bad time with it. Like, yeah, 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 like, yeah. She was like, I kind of don't want to make this. 
But if you but if you're gonna let me you make, think, did you think? I don't think that because we know in interviews. But do you think it shows up in the film? When where in this film do you think it brings up the idea that a fourth Matrix <laughs> might not be a good? I can't think of any case where it's explicitly stated that yeah. Warner Brothers wants a fourth <laughs> Matrix. Yeah, but she's always like, okay, if, if, can, if, no, if, sorry, if, can I can yeah. I say? I, I was on Twitter and I saw people talking about that about how the fact that in the film it is literally explicitly yes. stated it is in dialogue someone says Warner Brothers wants a fourth Matrix uh, and I read that being like okay cool fuck so you've spoiled the whole film for me there's no way that could be within the first 10 minutes of the film and it is like as, as spoilable as it is it's also kind of unspoilable because yeah. you can't like how deep and dense and weird and how it extends the metaphor uh yeah, yeah. Oh. There is also that sense of like, oh, you, you're actually going to let me do this? You, you, you're you're going to give me like 150 million dollars to do this movie? Yeah. Okay, fuck you. I'll, I'll do yeah. I'll do this fucking movie then. Like, we, okay, we are talking a lot about the Matrix Resurrections. Yeah, which makes me feel like we're putting the father through. Who can tell, right? Like, like, where, uh, like, where do you like? Okay, because to me, this is a, a like a very much a much of a muchness situation. How big is your preference for Resurrections over Father? Not that big. We're pretty close to each other. On a combined list, they're right next to each other yeah. as well. I, I, I think, probably had more of an emotional reaction to Resurrections than I, did, than I did to the Father, where I was like, this is very good. And, like, these performances are incredible. I love this editing. And everything that Tony Hopkins is doing is blowing my fucking mind. Like, it, it's all it's all great. But, but like, you had, like, a real serious, like, a, a emotional connection with, with the father. Whereas, like, I, I kind of walked out of it being like, that was an excellent film. And, and I love everything about it, but... I've just never felt less connected to you. I just genuinely... Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm not calling you a liar. Yeah, yeah. But I genuinely am struggling to fathom someone not watching that film and being deeply moved by it like it's uh, anyway but that is but that is a limit of my thinking as yeah. opposed to like calling you wrong yeah but but like in resurrections like all of the all of the romance stuff between trinity and neo i found like really just like wonderful and moving i was like as i said to you after, after we saw it it was it, it felt like seeing season three of twin peaks and seeing like norma and big ed finally getting together yeah. after all those years yeah, yeah. seeing keanu and carrie Ann back together is, and their chemistry yeah it's in, insane and another entry on the hottest shit in the movie this year is uh, all of it well so there's, there's a scene where, where Keanu Reeves walks into a like motorbike shop that Carrie Ann Moss runs she is standing at the back of a shot in a tank top with an angle grinder like like working on a motorbike and there's sparks flying everywhere when the camera like shows that me, me and you were just both went oh okay so this is where we're at our emotional reactions cancel each other out yeah we we seem to be at an impasse. I think probably like as as a like technically exercise. I I, I I think the father more fully like achieves what it's trying to do. I enjoyed watching the Matrix more, but like I it is close enough for me that that I am I'm fine with putting the father through. We're about to praise the Matrix, but this is how I will underline why yeah. I think it is kind of clearly the father. I think the father every bit of the father works. Yeah. It is a Swiss watch and like the matrix isn't trying to be a swiss watch no and and it doesn't have to be but there are parts of it that don't quite land sure some of that is that you know lana isn't necessarily interested in the same things anymore mm. and some of it is just like 
mm, you know. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, uh, congratulations to the father. So uh, the Matrix Resurrections, we've talked about it a lot. Yeah. But I cannot stress when uh, Jessica Henwick steps gun first out of a rippling mirror in the sweet as suit, these blue <laughs> glasses that with a line through them, yeah. her, her blue hair, it is and I'm cool. it is cool. And I want to be clear, this is not me inventing like coded language to be like hubba hubba. Yeah. No, it's just like it's cool shit. Yeah. And almost every element of this film is Lana going like, okay, so how do you do the matrix now? Yeah. And it is so interesting how many things it leaves out. And like their clothes are like in the same palette but different styles. Like you have to choose this kind of fashion. Yeah. It always has to be outside of the thing. What is how does the metaphor extend? And that kind of all boiling down to encapsulated in Jessica Henwick gun first out of the mirror in those glasses is just like, yeah, no, this is how you get it right. It just, you could so easily fuck a sequel to The Matrix. You yes. could so easily fuck this sequel to The Matrix. And it absolutely does not fuck it. Yeah. Right? Even though there is stuff in, in, in the Matrix Resurrections which, like, doesn't fully work. So much of the stuff they add, feel like places that, that they take for, like, themes and ideas of the earlier movies are, like, so interesting and, like, choices that no other, like, writer or filmmaker would make when, yeah. when, when making a Matrix sequel. Yeah, like, what, like, what like, is the Matrix now? How has yeah. our relationship to it changed? And not just having that be but, 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 a but discussion, also, have that be the plot. Yeah, but also, like, uh, what, they do with the, what they do with the machines is, like, so much more complicated than, you know, any... Like yeah. two hundred million dollar blockbuster has like any right trying to pull yeah. off. It, it is a movie that, that like absolutely refuses to be stagnant, and and yeah. just is like we're 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 going to take this in new places. We're going to like we're going to continue to challenge the audiences and like what they want from what they think what they think they want from a Matrix movie. We're going to give them something different. Going to give them something that, that is like more complex and more rewarding than than what they think they want well and, and and also something that is funnier like this is the funniest matrix movie by a very long way there are tons of like good jokes and like good editing gags there's a pretty long montage in the first half of the film about a bunch of video game designers trying to figure out what a sequel to the matrix would be pitching terrible ideas and like like bad corporate speak and stuff and it's 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 like five minutes of good gags while white rabbit by Je by jefferson airplane plays and also all of those jokes are set up. Yeah, it absolutely refuses to be stagnant, which is the thing, which is how you make a sequel to The Matrix, yeah. right? And I'm just so glad we got it. Yeah. And I, I'm so glad... The take everyone has is like, oh, I understand why some people won't like it. But like, like the key thing why most people won't like it is that A, like it tells them that they won't get what they want. And also it replaces and substitutes straight camp for queer camp in a lot of places in a way that uh, makes it seem silly as if the originals weren't and to be clear silly is not a bad thing yeah. I think a lot of the takes on not liking it are people 
accidentally proving the point well, like, it, of it, the it's, film. It's people who want to be 14 years old again and and seeing bullet time for the first time. Yeah. Which, which you can't which, Yeah, which, which you're never going to be. Like, this is a movie about middle-aged people now. The Matrix movies have always been a romance. But this one is especially one. Yes. Yeah. And, and a lot of people uh, cannot handle that. And, like, that's their loss. Yeah. And it is also, like... People being like, oh, it's all woke now, which is kind of a fundamentally ridiculous because blah, blah, blah. We don't need to yes, re-go yeah. through how just factually incorrect uh, that is. But it's also like it's just a summer blockbuster. Like it just happens to have like visibly queer people and more women and people of color than you are used to. Yeah. Like if you're looking at that being like, oh, it's woke now. But it's like it's a film ultimately about how cool it is when two white straight people hold hands. It's like Yeah. It's a movie about how like about like a cool dude who holds hands with his girlfriend and it makes the magic together. The original Matrix movies and and especially the first one have like some performances which just kind of like like haven't really been bettered in in this sort of movie, like like Hugo Weaving as Agent Smith and Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, as, yeah, as like Morpheus, yeah, like yeah. Th- th- those are just like two of the like most compelling screen performances of all time. And like, I, I would say that like neither of the people who are filling those roles like get that good, but like they're, they're both doing good jobs. They're I, both doing like interesting and different things with the characters. But like, and and like that is fundamentally the point. The characters who fill the roles that were formerly taken by Morpheus uh, and, and Agent Smith are people who are deliberately wrong yeah. in either minor or major ways and yet are doing their own thing. Someone on Twitter said, yeah, the thing it lacks is someone with the gravitas of Lawrence Fishburne. Mm. And I want to be like, the film lacking specifically Lawrence Fishburne's gravitas is a deliberate absence. It is something that is specifically addressed. And, and what it is replaced with, like narratively, is a young Asian woman with blue hair. Whose name is Bugs and at one point says, what's up, Doc? Yes, those things aren't there. And the things that stand in for them are not them. But like that is like... What does the beginning of the film tell you? Go look at the beginning of the film. Yeah. If you, if you, if you engage with the beginning of this film and then be like, oh, this film doesn't do the Matrix well. The first scene is kind of about how you can't redo the Matrix. Yeah. Uh, it, uh you can't go home. Yeah. Um, but what you can. Spider-Man. Oh, I know he's still got no way home. Uh, but what you can do is build a better home. Yeah. I love you, The Matrix Resurrections. So, oh, Paddington walking around on stage. Oh, what's he pulled out? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's his award statue from 2017 when he won Best Actor. Uh, uh, and Because he's introducing Best Actor. He's bringing on uh, your host, your winner from 2018. Who is yeah. it? He's probably a bad choice as host because uh, he is uh, essentially catatonic. <laughs> he's walking on stage, <laughs> wild-eyed, face covered in blood, big, big smile. Oh, right, okay. Uh, Finn's doing a very good impression of Nicolas Cage at the end of Mandy. My nominees for this year are 
Jeffrey Wright in the French Dispatch playing James Baldwin, basically. It's more than just a James Baldwin impression, but like if it was just a James Baldwin impression, it's a very good James Baldwin impression. Uh, oh, God, it's it fucks so hard. Uh, Dev Patel in The Green Knight. Yeah, he also <laughs> fucks so hard. Alicia Vikander specifically. <laughs> Ow! Honeys! <laughs> He's so much fun to watch, and seeing the like, evolution of his character over this film is 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 so great and, and that montage at the end like he he is doing such strong work there uh, my next nominee is adam driver for the last duel i was supposed to be able to see uh, three new adam driver movies this year but uh, both Annette and house of gucci got delayed till next year mm-hmm. so i just get one uh, but you know what that's enough he's real good he's real yeah. good in the last yeah, yeah. duel full-on movie star charisma beautiful man loves seeing him in everything and uh, number two don Cheadle in no sudden move S- such a different character than, than, than what he usually plays yeah don Cheadle is like so good at, at, at for like fast talking charisma like which yeah. which which he, which he usually does but like here he's really like leaning into the fact that he is a man in his like i mean like late 50s now and he he, he is like letting the like gray and, and the wrinkles really work and just like leading into the fact that like he's playing a guy who just never made it and and now will never give a chance man I, I love watching him do it my final nominee is nicholas cage and pig uh we already talked about it a bunch he's uh one of if not my favorite living actors and pig is uh, great i could give it to any of these guys but I, i'm gonna give it to adam driver for one reason and which is in either his or Matt Damon's section of The Last Duel, when there was like a challenge laid down, he lays down a glove to, to, to challenge Matt Damon. I think we're in front of a king. And it's like a big courtroom. I mean, he is walking, he's walking backwards away from the glove and he sort of picks up, he picks up the end of his cape and does like a, and does like a swirl of his cape. Just does this like flourish with a cape, which is my single favorite moment of acting this year. It is such like, expert like camp of like here's me showing you what what a like kind of show off like shithead this this guy is with his just like little flick of his wrist his obsession with pageantry yeah. and, and performance yeah so coming out here's here's my winner it's lily frankie from shoplifters which uh, i think has kind of unfairly faded into the shadow of parasites being an, another uh, East Asian mm. film about the uh, a poor family struggling under capitalism. Yeah. But it is uh, a, a very different and, and very good film full of incredible performances. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah, that, 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 that's one I've been meaning to watch for, for a couple of years now. Yeah, it, it's, I, I, I've heard nothing but like incredible things about it. Yeah, it'll get you. <clears throat> My nominees are Yahya Abdul-Mateen II for Candyman. Mm. Clint Eastwood for Cry Macho. I just wanted to talk about Cry Macho. Basically, it's default Clint because I want to do the the most nuclear take on Cry Macho and that Cry Macho would be much better if Clint Eastwood had died after make, immediately <laughs> after making it because it would be an incredible black star mm. for him, especially this performance. But uh, he he's still going. Yeah, so I think I, I, it's not like great, but like Clint is is always super watchable and he's, he's and, doing good work and it's not bad yeah. it's just it is it's very much you know yeah. it's clint eastwood very close to just bumming around on camera yeah. but it's more than that but it's good steven yun for uh tuka and bertie <laughs> uh, uh and then after that it's written 
can't have TV shows, uh, whatever. We'll just say it's for Minari, but really it is for Tuca and Bertie. So that, Stephen Young, yeah. Daniel Craig for No Time Today. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a good performance, as much as I hate that lore shit. He plays it so well. Jason Statham for Wrath of Man. Okay. I wow. just like the, the – there are a bit I don't like a lot. Like, that film I don't love. Yeah. But, like, him as this unhinged vector of violence. Yeah, yeah. This fleshy f- fight monster is that he's been getting so good at that. Like, whatever the action movie version of cl- his clown is within yeah. the comedy – and i think this is him perfecting it after especially after like the wobbles of hobbs and shaw's like what are you doing with it but like this it's like he's always been a great action star yes i think that film is him perfecting it i don't think the whole film is great but he is good uh Ethan Hawke for zeros and ones. Yeah, I, I, I love Ethan Hawke. Yeah, like, and he is great. Watching zeros and ones, I just sort of felt like every like elder statesperson of American cinema should get their opportunity to make their like formally ambitious film about Ethan Hawke being lost and searching for meaning in the modern world. Yeah. He has just like such a great face for, for just like carrying the weight of the fucking world. In Zeros and Ones, he's, uh, he's got three different characters. Uh, the first is Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Uh, who, who uh, like Uwe Boll at the beginning of Auschwitz, appears on a webcam explaining the film we're yeah. about to see. Yeah. And then he, he's playing the main character of the film JJ, who's an American soldier in Rome uh, looking for, for information to stop, to stop a terrorist attack. And then in uh, one scene, uh, he also plays uh, JJ's brother, Justin, who has this crazy monologue. It's worth seeing the film for. Yeah. Like the, the film, it's, it's chunky and, and weird, but it's short. If you don't include the credits and what happens after the credits, then it's about 68 minutes long all up. Like it's less than an hour and a half of one of our great actors and one of our uh, weirdest directors uh, just fucking around in Rome doing weird shit. It is impossible to waste your time on it because it is so short. And uh, on that note, my winner is Oscar Isaac for The Card Counter. Yeah. Uh, that film, uh, another near, it nearly made it. It is. It was number 14, one away from being on the list. We, uh, Finn, we're, we're both avowed sh- Schrader heads. Yeah. As, as complex a man as he is, uh, I think that film has a lot of good going for it. I think a lot of that good also falls under making it deliberately unpalatable for the severe majority of people. And like Oscar Isaac is uh, my favorite of the marquee A-list stars that we currently have. He, I do not need to tell anyone, but his charm is at a thousand percent. He can be so funny. He can do fucking action. Yeah. He can do, we know he can dance. He we can know sing. He can sing. He can do it all. And, a- and, and he's doing none of that in this movie. Yeah, and in, in this, he shows he can do the color beige. Nothing. Yeah. Just this boring man trying to get through life and deal with something. And yet, it is never uncompelling and the moments where that breaks and changes are the second best bits of acting 
I've seen this year. One of the scariest scenes uh, of film this year purely comes from his acting. Yeah. It is a, a home run and like the card counter is kind of spoilers but not really i just didn't know it going in uh about abu Ghraib. yes essentially including uh tasteful but tastefully horrific recreations of it which are incredibly confronting mm. and upsetting as they should be it's straighter like trying to make a film about like what it means to like seek forgiveness for a crime yeah. and and his whole idea was what is a crime that is unforgivable and you're like, oh, being a torturer at Abu Ghraib. There is no way a person can come back from that. Yeah. And so Oscar Isaac's character, who spent, you know, years and years in jail for being a torturer, uh, even though people who were behind this regime of torture got away with no punishment, he goes into being a professional poker player, which is a just a, a world where he is able to, like, live in hotel rooms travel light and he never has to form a real human connection with anyone it is a life like purposefully built on avoiding anything that might make him care about someone just because he cannot imagine himself as worthy of love or happiness or um, like a moment of respite it's great it is confronting yeah uh don't watch it if that's not for you. Yeah. But if you think that's something you can sit with, it is a film that, that works very hard and successfully holds the weight of those crimes. Yeah. Uh, so it is worth it. If you know what I mean, uh, check it out. Quarterfinal number four. We here have two texts that are in ways culminations for each of us of of things we have been very attached to in our lives for me there is uh, uh the part of myself i have placed within the shell that is called neon genesis evangelion and the apotheosis it reaches goodbye all of evangelion and evangelion colon 3.0 plus 1.0.1 thrice upon a time or, uh, uh, it, it should be noted, its Japanese title ends with the musical symbol for end the repeat. And, and Finn, addicted to the spice, <laughs> he's not shy, halud. Yeah. He wants more, a deeb of June. Okay. Let's see. Let's just let's. I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. Three, two, one. Dude. Evangelion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh. Oh. Can we just fight? Can we just have a fist I fight mean, about it? It does suck that these two are together because yeah. I do not see either of us backing down on this one. Here is the thing holding me back on Evangelion. Like the, the, there the, weren't enough shots of butts, Finn. There were so many. It was two and a half hours. Like half an hour was shots of butts. Like this is a world and a story that you have lived with for like how long? Now? Yeah, like twenty years. Oh no, like five. I'm oh. I'm only I'm oh, okay. recently, but I have oh, okay, right, like right. I have had. I, I did the TV show. Then there 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 was a gap. Then I did the follow up films. Uh, then I, I took a gap and then I did the three rebuild films. Right, that ex- yeah. Okay. I was talking to a former guest, Ben McGugan, a few weeks ago after I'd just finished the like, series proper. 
he's someone who's been like watching Evangelion for like 17 or 18 years now. And like, it, it is just like, like part of his DNA. Yeah. I'd kind of like assumed you had also been like my connection uh, to Neon Genesis Evangelion as a complete unit comes mm. from the, I started watching it as I really started to engage with my mental health. Right. And, and like, I stand by my statement on Neon Genesis Evangelion as a complete work is that it is the best expression in fiction of what the experience of clinical depression is like like it this is a major yeah that's what it feels like yeah, yeah. for me so that is why i am printed so closely on it whereas like i've been with evangelion for like, about three and a half months now from yeah. starting the first episode of neon genesis to the end of the fourth rebuild like yeah it, it's, it's been about like three and a half maybe, maybe four months yeah and i don't have those like residual feelings that, that build up in a crew over years and but, years but is it something you'll continue to visit and I, return to i don't know like i i really like the series a lot i think i think the end of evangelion is incredible and i i did like this a lot more than all the other rebuilds yeah first of all i, I don't revisit tv series that yeah. often I can see myself coming back to it. I don't see it becoming one of the like cortex of my being. Yeah. Okay. So how here is how I can pitch this mm. to you. June is obviously excellent. Yes. We both agree on that. Absolutely. It, it cracks how to adapt June. And that's not to throw other adaptations uh, under the bus, mm. but they are all flawed. And, and, like, sometimes that is their charm in sure, the term of yeah. the short version of David Lynch's. A lot of people agree. Yeah. June is on fucking loads of year-end lists. Yes. Here we are. Shine and sound. The only people with, with a correct opinion. And, 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 and you're saying we should be the only ones brave enough to have Evangelion on our end of year list. I, I would just always rather be weird than cool yeah and so that is the appeal i'm i'm my appeal to you knowing it will eventually fall does that work on you the idea that it's 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 because it's the chaos pick out of these two i mean like i i'm kind of sad that i did have to like remove a lot of the chaos picks from, from my <laughs> yeah. nominations like when it was like coming down to the wire last night and i had like nine or ten actors in a lot of categories yeah. and i was like oh man i've i've, I've to remove chill edge year four for locked down from best that, actor that's why like, i went all chaos yeah picks. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I, I might i might try that next year I agree that we should make the weird picks. I think that is fully valid. But like, also, I saw I saw Dune twice in IMAX, and each time I was like, "Man, this fucking thing cannot be stopped." So, uh, Evangelion uh, Thrice Upon a Time is, uh, in fact, three films next to each other. One is the second half of the previous film that they just didn't make because Hideakiano fell into a depression so great uh, Shin Godzilla just manifested out of it magically. It just came out of his head like Adam, or is it Lilith? The middle is just uh, 40 minutes of table setting for the final 40 minutes, which I stop me if you think I'm exaggerating, is a, a psychedelic freak out, which drives into like the internality of the characters, where, where it becomes a series of kind of confrontations between uh, uh, the lead, Shinji, who is also uh, 
kind of freely alternating subtextually as Hideaki Anno. <laughs> and then the limits of that start to break and it begins to spill out into the production into yeah. uh, the animation starts breaking down and rebuilding itself the fourth wall breaks and then a fifth wall breaks and then a sixth wall breaks and all of this is happening while this depressed boy is talking to all the people around him and they are all being like but look here here is the thing it's the hedgehog's dilemma the sea which is a, you know a thing that recurs throughout this yeah. we're all spiky we cannot hold each other and it's all these people including one character who we've never really met before but is also the, the biggest character in the show all being like like shinji god it must suck but also do you understand that like we are hurting too and through that finding forgiveness for themselves and each other and kind of like joining and growing and like i you know the kind of person i am yeah you must know what that <laughs> did to me <laughs> i don't want to get into it further i don't want to ruin it for yeah. people but like i think again it's not a yeah yeah june is five out of five stars yeah i love it it makes me like june more i'm not like i enjoy june but i'm not coming into it as a fanboy mm. but like would you rather have a film that ends with rebecca ferguson from Mission Impossible, doing the voice, you know, from the million yeah. selling paperbacks in an orthocopter, or okay, here, here's the, here's the, here's, the here's opening credits of the TV series playing while two characters talk to each other, leading to the final after twenty two years explanation of the title Neon Genesis Evangelion, yeah. like. I would say those are equally good. And, but one of those, a lot of people are going to be talking about. And the other, uh, gives purpose to my life. No, anyway, what's your counter? Sorry. Uh, it is kind of weird to me that like the like first half of this is like the last half of the last movie that didn't get made. When, when, when like this is the first of a rebuild that feels like a movie. The like first rebuild is just like a compilation. It's a remake of yeah. six to eight episodes of the yeah. show. Yeah. And, and then two and three kind of never fully feel like movies. Two was still kind of like hamstrung by trying to do that, that like their like TV structure of his angel attack every such and such minutes. Yeah, and and, 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 then, and then three is just kind of nothing. It's it's like the same thing happening over and over again, and nothing really changes or moves. This one is the first to feel like an actual movie. Yeah, which was uh, exciting for me after watching the previous three. Yeah, and uh, but so, you're, you're right, it is better than June. We'll put it through. Okay, so here, here's here's my thing in June. When they get when they get off the ships, all the bagpipes start playing, right? In Evangelion, they don't use the song. That's the best part about Neon Genesis Evangelion is is when they, is when you get to hear that song every twenty two minutes. And that's something that the, the rebuilds are sorely lacking. Okay, but you have to say that you are choosing to support Warner Brothers, soon to be owned by 
Jeffrey Bezos from the song, CEO, Mm. entrepreneur, (laughs) over one of the most singular pieces of art ever, just because you like a book that everyone who looks like you looks like. Are you say? Do you agree to that? I mean, a lot of people who look like me also like Evangelion. Can I? I just want to be like, clear. Look, I want to make your victory as peric as possible. Look, th- these are two very good films. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Like a lot. What one of them has uh, way more of uh, a topless fourteen-year-old girl just hanging out in her panties for a large portion of the movie. Yeah, I know. I, I was weirded out that they asked Zendaya to do that too. <laughs> to a certain extent, I like get and understand what Anno is going for with all the weird horny shit in Evangelion. But like some of it, like how the entire time they're forever village, which is I think my favorite stuff in the movie, uh, but like apart from the ending. Yeah. That like that, that entire sequence, which is like forty minutes, every time it cuts to Asuka, like she's just in her panties. I mean, has like a jacket, and you can like see her cleavage, and she's she's just hanging out like that for like a couple months. I don't, I don't know, man. You've, you've, yeah, you've, no, you've, no, you've, no. Like, yeah, yeah. This, this is a character you've you've been writing and animating for like you know for like twenty years now. Maybe think of something else to do with her other than the thing you've been doing for twenty fucking years. I, I, I like yes, that is the argument that has convinced me. It's June, and so to continue talking about Evangelion. Yeah. P- apart from not liking the nakedness of Asuka in the village sequence, I, th- I think that that section of the film is like really, really great, and that that's what I wanted from Vera of the rebuilds in the second rebuild there is that plot point where shinji realizes that that he really enjoys cooking and he, he likes making food for people and then that inspires ray and asuka to both get into cooking as well to to like trying to try and like get close to him and then like ray has has that scene where she's talking to gendo and she says do you like when people cook you food he says yes or would you like it if i cooked you food he says yes and I, well well would you, would you like it if if I cooked you food and, and Shinji was there. And, and just like, for like the promise of that idea of like, like Shinji is going to sit down and have a meal with his dad and like Ray and Misato and Asuka are going to be there in the second rebuild. And then like, they're just like, no, I've got another angel attacking. We're not, we're not going to follow I, through on that. That was such a bummer for me. This whole sequence of them living in this small rural actually community. Actually living. Yeah. Like, Ray learning how to become a person for the first time. Like, she's kind of irritating at the beginning of that, which is like, what's well, good night? And like, you know, fuck off. But like, once she, she, she like starts working in the rice fields and she like is hanging out with these people and like realizes that she wants, she wants like her own name that represents her. It's like, it is beautiful shit. I, I, yeah. I love that stuff so much. I don't think anyone agrees with you more about how disappointing the first three rebuild mm. films are than the fourth rebuild <laughs> film. Yeah, yeah. So much of the crisis of it is being stuck in this loop, recreating, rebuilding. Yeah. Can you or can you not rebuild, re- advance, or are you alone, thrice upon a time, etc. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing... Because I think the rebuilds were initially just a commercial proposition. Anno needed to make more money. Gynex and then Kara, the studios, were in financial trouble. And they were going to be something he churned out quickly. Yeah. Uh, and, and then uh, mental health crisis, you can see it in the films. Yes. 
and that this is a film about someone going like, man, I just need to get rid of that shit and I need to live my life. Yeah. I need to not be the job. Shinji being like, I can't just be the person who sits inside his giant cyborg mum bot to fight whoever the fuck. Yeah. I just need to be here and now is a rebuke and also is like, and as much as it sucks, you have to get through, you know, the four hours of the previous films to to make that point. Yeah. I, I think Arno is an incredible talent. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I, yeah. I, I'm really excited to check out the live action films that he's made. Yeah. Like, uh, which, I've, which I've heard are really good. I think this is just... I love Shin Godzilla. Oh, mate. That, 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 that thing rules. Yeah, I think he's a master. Mm. Uh, I think I will say this once again, and I, I do not say often, like, I, I think he's a Bergman, Hitchcock, Vada, you know? Yeah. I think he he's not just my guy. I think he's like a king. But yes, it's relationship, how it sexualizes uh, its characters mainly women, but not exclusively, yeah. is a sticking point. And one that I absolutely accept. For some people, it's just an absolute barrier mm. to entry. The, the, and, and for some people, it's what they love about the show. Yeah, and those people are wrong yes. as well. I, my reading of it has always been that, and this is me bringing a reading that I know is exterior. Mm. I know that the real answer is, is that you just have to have that kind of shit when you make f- animation like that yeah. in Japan. Yeah. Like, uh, and uh, that sucks. That uh, Don't do that. But because the show is Shinji, I, I, he's not in every scene. Mm. But they, they're both, they're the same thing. Yeah. You, you start and end with him. You're always with him, even if you're not in the same space as him. I, I've always read it as uh, about how when you're Shinji's age, like, you just want to fuck everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's about, like, uh, discovering sexuality and kind of like someone who is horny all the time and how that can lead to sadness and how that drives them apart. It helps that the thing that that during the big uh, psychedelic freakout, um, everyone is dressed pretty modestly, yes. which shows he's evolving past that. But that is me putting a reading on it and is a, a way of me saying, like, yeah, I... I, the the way I mainly deal with that that sexualization of women, and, and even though Asuka at that point in the narrative is f- fifty, uh, uh, she's got the body of a fourteen year old, yes. uh, and it sexualizes her. And I I trust Arno yeah. to be doing something complicated with it, but I also understand that for other people that would totally bump it and like. Dune doesn't have that. Yeah. And also uh, with uh, 3.0 plus 1.0, that, that, that's also the one where he like kind of does it the least. Where it is like the, the like least weird about Rey and Asuka and, and, and Masato's bodies. Like that that is like my kind of one main sticking point. But like other than that, I like fully agree that it is like a really incredible, like totally singular work of, of like both action and science fiction and just like self-reflection. It is cool and fun and exciting. And there, there is like stuff happens in it that just like, that just like drains you. There, there's like one thing in particular that happens with Ray, which is like, 
ah, fuck. Yeah. I think he, he handles the tone shifts better in this than he does yeah. in than the other rebuilds. It has great looking fights. Yeah. And it just, I uh, like that psychedelic freak out happens and you're like, oh, cool. A nice little interlude. And then it's the rest of the film. Yeah. Anyway, uh, check it out. You do have to watch the whole TV series, then the end of Evangelion, then the three rebuilds. But, like, you did that. Yeah. That's not a bad thing to do, no, right? I, it is a worthwhile thing to do. If you watch all of those things, the majority of them will be good. Good or great. The rebuilds that are, like, bad or, like, not totally successful, kind of, like, short, they don't take up too much of your time. And, and at worst, they're just reminding you of good stuff you've already seen. Yeah. Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0.1, Thrice Upon a Time, uh, was sixth equal on our combined list. Goodbye, all of Evangelion. Paddington, introducing to the stage my uh, presenter, and my winner for Best Actress in 2018, it's Eve Melander from Border. If you've not seen Border, check it out. It will fuck you up. It is a uh, basilisk in my mind. My nominees are Kate Winslet for Ammonite. Just, it's just unfortunate that Ammonite, a quite good film, came out close enough to Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which kind of does all the same things better. Yeah. And it is like, it would, it's so unfair because Ammonite is great. It just came up against uh, a major work by one of the greatest artists in any medium. It's the same thing with another movie from this year called The World to Come, period lesbian romance with Catherine Waterston and Vanessa Kirby, which is directed by a woman called Mona Fastwold, which is like also really good. It's just like not portrait. Next is Tiffany Haddish for Tuka and Birdie. No, wait, we already established we can't do that. Man, Tuka and Birdie is so good, though. The second season from this year, check it out. The first season so good, too. So, uh, fuck, let's just say the card counter. Frankie McDormand for Nomadland for so long was my performance of the year until I thought of my chaos pick for winner. I think she does incredible work and yeah. I think the crux of her incredible work and the crux of that whole film is that that is a film about people in horrible situations. I think that film has no illusions about how horrific Amazon is, yeah. about how the situations under which these people are forced to choose to live as nomads. But what what that film is about for me uh, is about people finding dignity in that and the openness of Francis McDormand in that film just, just sits so hard with me yeah. and the honesty of it, of just, just being a person, just trying to be in the world. That's my, like my response to all the like, Oh, it's pro Amazon. It's just like, no, these people are having a horrific time yeah. and are making the best of it. My mum, who was like left wing, but like not not particularly like political, she watched Nomadland and she like specifically called me up afterwards to like talk about it and was like, "God, working at Amazon seems fucking awful." Yeah, it, if you watch a film with any amount of generosity or, or like good faith, it is obvious that that like the working at Amazon is supposed to seem bad. Yeah. It's just that, like, the, the, like, Chloe Zhao was not didactic about it be yeah. because she doesn't need to be. I really rate that film. Mm. I, it's just a crowded market, yeah. and 
Yeah. Anyway, Vicky creeps for old. I just like old. We're going to talk about it more soon. So anyway, but my winner is Karen Gillan for Gunpowder oh, Milkshake. Okay, wow. Because, yeah, I don't, that film is good rather than great, but like it, it clicked something for me, which is like, why does Karen Gillan work in comic book films in the American mode? But every time I've seen that tried to be put in a realistic scenario, it hasn't landed. And it is because her performance of Americanism is a cartoon character she's doing like her accent is like like Catherine Hepburn mid-Atlantic no she is she's doing an impression of a kind of American no one has ever seen yeah and that is best deployed in this fluoro candy noir where she is an assassin working for Paul Giamatti (laughs) who has to team up with her mum Lena Headey to take out a bad guy while looking after a kid and then at one point they go to the library run by Carla Good Gino to get weapons from Angela Bassett and Michelle Yeoh and Karen Gillan as this staunch statue talking like Catherine Hepburn fits so perfectly in that. It is just a case uh, uh, like like Haddish in the card counter. The, the, the thing I love most about her performance in that film is someone finally, because her energy is so strong and always has been, right? Uh, uh, it, and it's one that would so clearly work in drama and never has, and it works in this. Right, and it yeah. is just like... Karen Gillan gives the perfect performance to be in Gunpowder Milkshake, and that's why it's my best actress. It is a hell of a chaos pick. Coming out to present is uh, is Viola Davis in Widows. Oh. Widows. I wonder if we'll hear that film's name again today. The nominees are Tessa Thompson in Passing, uh, Josephine and Gabrielle Sands in Petite Maman, yeah. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss in The Matrix Resurrections, Rebecca Ferguson in Dune, and Carrie Coon in The Nest. I have not seen Passing, but like, that would be my list if I didn't have my role. Yeah. And what an incredible list it, it is. Like, I've not really seen Carrie Coon in much because she hasn't been in that many movies. She's most, mostly like a theater person. The Nest is like such a fucking actor's movie, giving her and Jude Law just incredible opportunities to give these like challenging and like nuanced performances. She was my favorite person in that movie. Yeah. And just like any scene she was in, I wanted it to go on for longer. It has one of those, uh, person who is like sad and repressed, uh, ha- has a cathartic dance moments, does a, like a fun dance at a nightclub. It's good. It's like one of those performances where like, I, j- I, j- I, w- I want to see Carrie Coon in everything now, but. My winner, I think it's kind of got to be Rebecca Ferguson for Dune. Yeah, it is the most boring take possible, but it is accurate that she is, if not the lead, the protagonist of that film. She kills it. Yeah. It's a great fucking job. Absolutely. And I'm so looking forward to the sequel. I hope she gets to do even more cool shit in that one. And, like, yeah, she, she, she is another person who, like, I haven't really seen that many things. It, it's like the, the like two Mission Impossible movies and uh, Doctor Sleep, pretty much. Such different characters, such different performances. She absolutely kills all of them. The moment in the Ornithopter where they're being flown out by some Harkonnen troops to be thrown to their death, and she uses the voice is one of the most exciting things I've seen in the movie all year. 
the scene where she's crying outside the door of a room where Paul is being tested, where she recites the litany against fear. That is like, that like bit of text is like kind of the defining like moment of Dune the book. The thing that everyone like remembers and latches onto. She delivers it in, in a way for like, even if this wasn't already like an iconic piece of writing, it would become that because of how she performs it. And it is just that's how you put it in that moment the joke tweet i did was uh, my worry about denise june is that he will not capture the majesty of when once at 3 a.m i was listening to the audiobook of june while very stoned in the rain outside and i heard the litany against fear for the first time and i didn't feel like i had a head (laughs) and then the follow-up to that is that like actually they did find a way that captures the fear and majesty of it. Like, uh, rampling, staring daggers into Chalamet as he burns and then cutting to Ferguson outside saying those words is like, I felt like I didn't have a head. It's so fucking good. Uh, so we enter the semi finals. We are picking the final competitors who will face off. In this case, we have pretty much two films that are the opposite of each other, except they're both uh, nice and short. Little Mum, Petite Maman, and No Sudden Move. Three, two, one. Petite Petite Maman. Yeah, no, uh, okay. You put me on to No Sudden Move, Mm. uh, and we've talked about it quite a bit. Yes. Oh, yeah, he just loves Soderbergh. It's just yeah. great to see him back doing his stuff. So, Soderbergh is someone who, like, I'm always going to be excited when he puts out a new movie, and I'm going to be especially excited if it's a new heist movie. Yeah. I love watching him do it. This cast, like, really excited me. This is a weird group of people to put together. Cheadle and Del Toro in, in the leads, Harbour, Amy Simons, John Hamm, uh, Kieran Culkin, Noah Jupe, Frankie Shaw, Julia Fox, Ray Liotta, Brendan Fraser. It's this bonkers, like, stacked cast of people who probably shouldn't be in a movie together. I just ended up, like, loving every scene of it. Like, every twist and every reveal, I was like, fucking keep it coming. It, it is. And, and then when it gets to that, that, like, monster scene with Damon, I was like, the scene I didn't know I wanted, this is like the place I didn't know I wanted this movie to go, and now it's going there. It's getting better and better. Even though it's like 20 minutes of exposition, I'm like, man, this is fucking good exposition. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's good meat and potatoes yeah. film. It's, and, it's and, an incredible hamburger. Yeah, I love, in, in the like very final scene of the movie, there is a reveal, which just like drives home even further, like just how fucking stacked everything is against all of us who are not uh, auto billionaires. Uh, it's hard out here for us non-auto billionaires. Yeah. Uh, it was sixth equal on our list with Evangelion. <laughs> Together they fall... Uh, good stuff. Yeah. Which brings us to, oh, Paddington's on stage. He's uh, writing with a quill, but the feather on the quill is tickling his nose. Oh, he sneezed all on his writing. Now he's trying to clean it up with his paws, but it's smearing the ink. Oh, no. It's turned into Whistler's Muffer. Who who's coming out to present your best writer nominees? Oh, it's, uh, uh, it's, I can't think of anything funny to say about them. It's Tony McNamara and Deborah Davis for The Favourite. Yeah. Uh, just good shit. Just real good screenplay. Yeah. 
Lana Wachowski, David Mitchell, and Alexander Hammond for The Matrix Resurrections. Uh, Eric Roth, John Spates, and Denis Villeneuve for Dune. Ed Solomon, No Sudden Move. Celine Sciamma, Petit Maman. Tony Kushner, West Side Story. And uh, Sean Durkin for The Nest. Watching the original West Side Story yesterday, reading up about the stage versions of it, uh, I really love all of the stuff that Kushner has added to it. All of the stuff about like race and gentrification, like either adds or makes more explicit. I think is yeah some of my favorite stuff in the film. I feel like all the video picks for the songs I think is really interesting, and I think in a bunch of cases more effective than the 1961 version. Yeah, like in, in, in the 1961 version, when they do G Officer Krupke, it's uh, just after the dance, but like before the War Council. Yeah, and they're all waiting outside uh, Doc's shop. Krupke comes up and he gives them all a talking to. He drives away. Then they all do the song. They go inside, have the war council, and then Lieutenant Shrank comes along and gives them, and gives them another talking to about like, oh, I'll tell you when the rumble's happening. In this one, they're like, dance and the war council are like the same thing now, and and so you, you don't have to have that like whole extra scene. Yeah. I mean, uh, G Officer Krupke happens the like next day when both Krupke and Shrank have brought them in to give them a talking to to find out when the rumble is. It feels so much more efficient, and you know, have the thing of like, here's a police officer. We're singing a song about a police officer. He's gone now. Oh, we're having meeting oh now another police officer's here it's yeah. like yeah it's, it's doing them all at once and the idea of having like a g officer Kropke happen inside of a police station is such a smart choice i think this is just like really really good work from kushner for, for like way he emphasizes new york city in, in a way that like the, the, the original kind of doesn't really because it's all sound stages and yeah we don't often see in films but in this, I, I, I really, really feel that like, that like New, New York, York City. is a character yeah. in itself. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't think he goes far enough, but that yeah, that yeah. is just me. My winner is Slinskyama for Petit Maman. The yeah, like other one of these movies I haven't really talked about yet was Dune, which I think is like such a smart piece of adaptation. Yeah, everything it keeps is necessary and. Pretty much everything it removes is something that like wouldn't have helped it to keep. There was like some stuff that streamlines, some stuff it just like drops all together, and yeah, how it, it distributes it, yeah. as well, and is really smart. It is so smart, like how it lays out exposition, yeah, and m- making it not feel like people are just telling you shit. It's so good, yeah. So Peter Strickland is my presenter for In Fabric, <laughs> my winner in twenty eighteen. Yeah, I love that script. My nominees are Paul Schrader for The Card Counter, Natalie Wynn for Envy. Nice. Uh, uh, ContraPoints, a YouTube video. It's, uh, it's a hundred minutes long and, uh, is, is kind of the best analysis uh, of online culture bar one. Uh, I think everyone should watch it. Yeah. It's very good. Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Just good shit. Pierre Oscar Levy, Frederick Peters, and M. Night Shyamalan for Old. Okay. Yeah. Welcome to Old Corner. If there was a great tragedy of 2021, it was the announcement that the Twilight Zone reboot had been cancelled because those bright, sharp, quick burning metaphor fables which just are like here why not have a premise we're just gonna shove some actors in it and see what happens yeah the Shyamalan is like i'm gonna keep that burning i'm gonna make a film about a beach that <laughs> makes you old and have it then 
boat mainly be body horror, but also be about fear of aging yeah. and how we're close to each and other. And, like, what would happen if a beach made you old? And I just can't. And, like, yes, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But like, well, it, it, look, it's you've it's it's something in the rocks. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 the, for, for, for rocks like magnetic or something, and that's how it makes them old. Just so many people against it have been like, oh, but it's ridiculous. And I'm like, that's good. And like, it's really like what it would be like if people were on a beach that turned them yeah. old. Yeah, he, uh, he he nailed it. Just, uh, I really dug that film. That that film was was on our combined list, uh, equal with passing number <laughs> seventeen. I'm sure both of them would love that. I just great work all around. I was like really impressed with whichever Wolf Brothers in that. Like yeah. he, like he does a really good job at play, playing a seven-year-old stuck in the body of like an eighteen-year-old. Yeah, like that's like that. That's it. That's a genuinely really good performance. Yeah, no, I, I rate every element of that film, and I don't like living in a world where films that have premises like there's a beach that makes you old are sneered at. Yeah. Um. But my winner is Lindsay Ellis for Mask Off, her video about how she was cancelled for daring to point out that Raya and the Last Dragon, a film that's quite like Avatar The Last Airbender, is quite like The Last Airbender. (laughs) And that turns into a a history of how the left eats itself, how the internet is a venomous place, how everything is terrible, and it goes uh, through the history of the term cancelled through her supposed list of sins, apologising for the ones that require apology, explaining what happened and why she was wrong. And uh, this genuinely was on this list before today or yesterday. Yesterday. Yesterday, she announced uh, that her life has gotten so bad due to the response to to this video uh, that she's just uh, leaving public life, Mm. which is, as you said, off mic. That's right. Uh, Somehow we have found a a time today, eight hours into this record, to to speak off mic. No, we've been recording this over three weeks. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Sorry. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Sorry. You said it, 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 is, it is one of the most embarrassing things that's ever happened in like internet discourse. Yeah. And what do people want? Well, they want blood. Hmm. When people fuck up, they should think about what they did and apologize yeah. and change. And, and this video is a clear demonstration of someone really engaging with that moment. Anyway, check it out. And like we're all just people we're all just humans you know if the internet stroke the left or the internet left put the effort into destroying our enemies as we do ourselves and i mean like the problem is is that our enemies have seemingly made themselves impervious because our enemies are auto billionaires uh, but the, here's the thing. As we have seen from all the hysterically triggered right wingers, they are soft. And we just, what if we just pointed the guns, not at our own heads? 
let's bully Ben Shapiro off Twitter. Yeah. And and then maybe get him to like piss his pants publicly. Um, but yeah, uh, the world sucks. Uh, second semifinal, the father versus Evangelion 3.0. No, I was trying to slip it in there. Just see if you'd notice and see if I could use the voice on you. It's uh, uh, June. Uh Three, two, one. Do the father. Uh, yeah. I like same arguments as with the Matrix versus the father. I love June. Yeah. I, I think I think it is better than the Matrix Resurrections. Okay, look, here's what I'm gonna say. I'm happy that June's made it this far. Yeah. You have a really strong connection with the father. We'll put the father through. Dune is an incredible piece of, yeah. of block- popular art. Yeah, of blockbuster entertainment. It is one of the guys who is the best at that, doing it the best he's ever done it. It is an incredibly good time. It is a fantastic adaptation of one of the defining works of, of science fiction. It, it fucking rules the whole time. Like, we know he's making a sequel. We know how good he is at sequels. Yes. And we know how much more batshit it gets. So, like, if June gets this far, two's going to win. <laughs> yeah. We've said so much. Yeah. There are, like, two more things I want to highlight in June. One segment I almost put in my, like, best action scene of the year, the entire betrayal sequence. When the Atreides are being betrayed by the Emperor and by the Harkonnen, they're, like, raid on Arakeen, the destruction of the palace, and the, like, decimation of the Atreides' forces. is like, such incredible action filmmaking but it is also so desperately sad. Yeah. And it is one of those things that, like, really expertly captures the uh, horror and futility of war inside this very, like, silly, over-the-top sci-fi story. It's just, like, a really good piece of filmmaking about how, like, political corruption and double-dealing and, and insider trading leads to this horrific loss of human life and human freedom. Dune knows, like, knows where those decisions are coming from. It knows who is responsible. It this part is kind of a spoiler, so I'll just say it now. Spoilers for Dune. Skip forward. 90 seconds. Paul Atreides' worm son destroys the universe or something? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> the like, way it integrates Paul's visions of the future is so expert. The bit where, where him and Rebecca Ferguson are, are in the desert, and he's having the visions of what life with the Fremen will be like. He sees a guy who we'll learn later is called Jamis. He has this vision of him and Jamis... They are out in the desert together, and Jamis is teaching him like the like ways of the Fremen and how how to like live in harmony with the desert. I mean, a few scenes later, he meets Jamis, is part of like group of Fremen who who, who they end up encountering, and like Jamis ends up challenging Paul to a like duel of of like honor. Paul tries everything he, he can like not to kill Jamis because he has he has this vision in his mind of what this man will mean to him in the future. But Jamis is so entrenched in the like Fremen idea of honor and combat and what it means to die a good death that he will not let Paul show him mercy. He like forces Paul into killing him, and then in that moment you just see on Timothy Chalamet's face just like the like loss of this potential friendship and that potential future, and it is so it's so fucking good. Yeah, my major reaction to it is like, oh, they just worked out how you adapt June. Yeah. And it's about meeting people and that you have all this exposition, which is, oh, oh, it's in the past of just being churned at you in a block at the beginning. Yes. Like smashing you like a breeze block and you're like, what the fuck? Where in this, they're like, 
no, we make this film about Paul meeting all these different people and each of them carries a bit of the world. Yeah. And they explain that to him. And so every time you're meeting an idea or a bit of lore or backstory, you're meeting a person mm. and like integrating the explanation of how the spice's mind into that when the spice miner is attacked by the worm. Yeah. It just gets it so right. It looks so good. Yeah. Uh, it sounds so good. Everyone in it is so great. It's crazy that Denis Villeneuve is getting hundreds of millions of yeah. dollars to make films that just seem actively hostile to most people's yes. taste. I, I love it. Mm. Mwah. It was number two. Yeah. Now, oh, Paddington, he's got uh, one of those, you know, loud hailers that directors use. Yeah, he's sitting he, on a fold-out chair. He's wearing jodhpurs. Uh, he's calling action. But, oh, no, he's tripped and knocked over the camera, and now he's getting all tangled up in the film. My presenter for best director, it's Steve McQueen. For Widows, yeah. my winner in 2018. Um, my 2018 winners, I went through and I was like, what are the films from 2018 I want to mention? All of these 2018 films, just go watch all of them. Yeah. My nominees are Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, Carrie Joji Fukunaga for No Time to Die. That dude knows how to direct action. He's yeah. great at that. Julia DeCorno for Titan. Yeah. I think it's uh, Julia DeCorno as the writer of Titan that causes a lot of the problems. I love to give awards to the, the little guys, yeah. Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. But my winner is Nia DaCosta for Candyman. Yeah. I think that film, while it, it just feels incomplete to me. It is doing really interesting things. She is exploring them in really interesting ways. And the jump in her work from Little Woods, which is a film I enjoyed fine, to Candyman, which is a like a, a work that only fails because it tries, you know? It right, is a yeah. missed swing, and you have to respect that. And it's not even a fully missed swing. It just, you know, it's not a home run. Yeah. I would say that makes me so excited to see her next film, but of course, it's a Marvel film. So I hope to see her next, you know, the one after that. Yeah. Uh, more works than fails in Candyman, but there are enough failures that it, it's not anywhere on the list. Yeah. Really check it out. It, it is much more of a Jordan Peele film who co-wrote it and obviously produced it than a lot of people think. It's really cinematic. Uh, you don't need to know about the other Candyman films, at least because I didn't, I don't, I like, I know they exist and right, I know you yeah. say his name three times. But what it has to say about gentrification and African Americans' relationship to that is is complex and interesting. It's, it's good. Check it out. My presenter for best director was on stage earlier. I think I think since then he's been uh, he's been getting it for lobster and champagne backstage. <laughs> uh, coming coming back out a bit wobbly is Austin Wells for the other side of a wind. <laughs> I mean he's also rotting. Yes, yeah. Uh, he has been dead for forty years. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but great to see him, Austin. Lovely to see you. So uh, my uh, my nominees are Denis Villeneuve for Dune, Celine Sciamma for Petit Maman. 
uh, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog, mm-hmm. and Wes Anderson for The French Dispatch. A winner. Uh, I, I, I don't know how I could give it to anyone else as Celine Sciamma for Petite Mama. It's the final. <sighs> Mum and Dad are going to have a fight. Mum's small. But Dad's awful forgetful. What's going to happen? I wonder. Three, two, one. Petite, Petite Mama. Mama. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it is. Uh, we will get to Petite Mama, as I say. But first, the father. What the father? Number five on our list, which only leaves number one. I wonder what it was. I wonder if it was ten points ahead of anything else at, at being as it was at at one and two of our lists, yeah. respectively. But anyway, uh, the father, second place. So here's the thing. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins throughout. Yeah. is giving his career best work and he's a good actor <laughs> he, he is uh, i i would personally say that his performance as handbilled actor is one of the uh, all-time great screen performances okay so i'll, I'll tell you my my uh, top three anthony hopkins performances yeah. number one still signs of land for me number three the father number two that andre rue concert film where he's in yeah. the audience and andre rue says hey my friend anthony hopkins is in the audience and now we're going to perform a waltz that he wrote 60 years ago uh, but it's never been performed before you you see this this orchestra perform this lovely piece of music anthony hopkins wrote as like a university student he's in the audience wearing like a big hat and the, ca- the camera just like kind of moves on him as he's like moved to tears by hearing this thing that he wrote as a young man finally performed to an audience of thousands of people okay. but, but, but like those are all like all time top <laughs> yeah yes the moment when he breaks down in that final scene yeah and calls out for my mummy i mean his mummy fuck <laughs> i i refer to it as emotional napalm uh, uh you you have talked about how you never really get into a film right yeah. you're always just watching it while i become uh more engrossed more easily than you and i was like those are the two levels that moment of pain and confusion was a genuinely transcendent experience for me in that moment i felt that pain as if it was my own we merged into a single emotional being uh, and it crashed over me and that is not just a success of that moment it is a success of the intricate machinery of the film leading dazzling and dazing you up to that moment i really wish i was able to have that sort of a response to films but also i think if i could have that sort of response to films i would not be able to watch a lot of the films that i watch it is something that honestly has and god I, this is not supposed to sound shitty yeah but like it's something that has come to me with time i felt the same way when i was your age and it's also it's something you can tune out of hmm. i wasn't watching cold fish yeah yeah being like oh no i've got to kill again <laughs> What Zella aims to do to to show you the world how this man sees it uh, and the way he does it is so simple and so effortless. It works so hard to be invisible. Yeah. This is a film that both obviously was adapted from a play and you also watch it and go like, how was this ever a play? Yes. It like has the like play thing of like, oh, you know, it mostly takes place in like one or two rooms or whatever. <laughs> Just a bunch of actors doing good acting. The like way that the film like shows Anthony Hopkins dementia is 
like yes he's doing a lot of great acting but also it is it is so cinematic how the film expresses his confusion it, it, it is for like incredible like editing and production like, design yes. also just how zella weaponizes the assumptions you make Mm. about film into things this is a film that knows exactly what you are thinking every moment and plays with it it is tough it being up against petite mama Mm. i would have really argued for father over small acts and you know i fucking love yeah yeah small axe i would have really pulled out small axe's tv you know the father is one of the most accomplished debuts ever uh, it is it yeah. is citizen kane tier shit if you have not seen it go and watch it do yeah. not read anything about it forget things we've alluded to ultimately it is a film about empathy about looking into and at others yeah to do that so well is uh, you know incredible dear my father oh damn the father i love you so uh when petite mama started Mm. uh uh it it starts with a, a little girl uh running in a wana uh through an old folks home saying goodbye to everyone yes and by the time she got to the second room my brain went oh no she's going to get to the last room she's saying goodbye because her her grandmother has died uh and then i watched uh then i saw how free and natural the child was being how beautifully positioned each element in each frame was as this camera moved like uh, like liquid through the space the perfect uh, expressions of goodbye each glimpse into each room of o- each old person's life who we never see again yeah uh being a perfect story that tells us uh, about that old person and also the interaction tells us about their interactions with this kid mm. who's just been there uh, and I started crying and I had the thought, is this going to be the best film ever made? And nothing really dissuaded me of that. I think I started crying about 50 minutes in and cried to the end of the film. That like opening scene is like so incredible. So Finn. Yes. What's the plot of this film? Uh, it's a, none of this is a spoiler it's all in the trailer yeah this is like like all the best magic tricks uh if you watch the trailer for this film it can't it kind of tells you everything i mean i had made sure to avoid i do try and avoid trailers where possible and so i didn't know the like turn of, of the middle of a film even when, we, when you like look at the title you you kind of get it i did so wait you didn't know i, I, I didn't know that was what the happen. high concept pitch of this film no was. no i was like oh it's gonna be two little girls hanging out in the forest I thought I thought that's the entire oh, thing. Uh, uh, okay, but it's not. It's not, it's the move into Act One is the meeting. It's not the it's not the middle. But, of but like when you like realize like oh like, okay that is, that is who that is. I just think we shouldn't like. I don't think it takes anything from the sure, film. Sure. If you don't want to know anything more about Petite Mama, skip ahead to one hour thirty minutes fifteen seconds. The seven year old girl meets her mum at seven years old as they are packing up her grandmother's 
house. Yeah. And when you walk through this forest to the house one way, you are in the present. And when you walk through it another way, you are in the past. It is not explained even to that level of detail. It is all done visually with no sense of like it even needing to be explained. You you, yeah. like, you just get it. The main girl is called Nelly. She's played by Josephine Sands. And then the younger version of her mother is played by her twin sister, uh, Gabrielle Sands, and she is called Marion. It's a film starring uh, two kids giving Yee Yee a Knight of the Hunter, uh, Matilda-level great kid performances. Spirit of the Beehive. Spirit of the Beehive. Celine Sharma is a master of film, of the cinematic arts, on the level of... Anyone. Oh, no. Lang. Kubrick, mm. uh, Chaplin, Eisenstein. She's at the top of the pantheon. The the amount of craft in this film, this is a film where the leads are played by twins, and yet at any point where you need to know which is which, you know which is which. Yeah. And you know it through subtle clues in dialogue or behavior. One of them doesn't have a scar, you know, one of them doesn't always have their hair up or yeah. down. It perfectly encapsulates the interiority of every character through their behavior. And it manages to take this metaphor about how we can never truly know our parents Mm. and turn it into something that is about the fear of growing old, the fear of the future, the fear of being a good parent, the fear of not knowing what the future will be like. Like that feeling of not being able to say goodbye to someone properly. In this case, it's a grandparent. And and then there's that growing feeling of like maybe I won't be able to say goodbye to my mum either. Sometimes people will just die and they won't get the sort of send-off that they deserve they won't get to know how much they mean to me every every scene of these two like seven-year-old girls just hanging out in the woods one knowing that like this is my mother who i'm getting a chance to finally connect with as she goes through the same loss that i'm currently experiencing it is such a powerful and beautiful film and it is 72 minutes long yeah it is it is 72 minutes long and within that speaks to it feels like every element of the human experience like it's this this thing feels uh like the end of men in black uh it feels like a galaxy in a marble that contains another marble that is a galaxy i i could i've I've watched this film twice more since uh, i saw it the first time and each time i have been struck by a different element of it one time i was just in love with all the frames, all the lights, realizing how much of it is natural light, how much this film works to evoke the the shapelessness, the wanderings uh, of light through trees or light reflected off things and how that reflects kind of this, the shape of this film. Mm. And then I watched it thinking about how, Each scene is just a scene of two kids talking very naturally in ways that you're never like, I mean, beyond the high concept premise, but they're never like, oh, let's talk about a metaphor. Yeah. But you get, you manage to build to like, shall I play you music from the future, putting headphones over her mother's head, playing her music that we don't hear in her expression. And that is like, 
that does and, ev- and then they go kayaking to like an ominous pyramid in the middle of a lake yeah and uh, which they climb and it is like but like that moment listening to the music yeah contains all of the like the reason you should live is art that the french dispatch takes 30 to 40 minutes to do and that she did this that celine did this so quickly and that it is so concentrated and so pure every scene drives the story forward but you don't notice it it feels like there's no story but you're always being driven towards things it's like pigment is like always finding like ways to like resolve conflict or like tension between characters in a way that is like that is so organic and natural and so beautiful and it's just like about acknowledging everyone's complications and humanity and feelings. I I thought it was going to be a film about what it's like being a kid, Mm. but it's a film about what it's like being alive. (laughs) My ritual of that's what it feels like comes from portrait of a lady on fire. Because to me, that's what it feels like to fall in love. And this film, I'm like, yeah, that that's what it's like to feel alive in the way that wild strawberries is what it is like to remember or regret or the seventh seal or persona is to fear death yeah or clockwork orange is about what it is to be young and out of control you know like it is insane i can't it feels illegal do you know what i mean yeah yeah how did she get performances that good out of those kids, out of those adults, out of anything? And every line feels like a naturalist piece of dialogue yeah. and a a philosophical uh, statement we should carry with us for the rest of our lives. When she talks to her mother at the end and they are talking kind of about their fears for each other. Yeah. And it ends with the mum saying you are not the architect of my pain that moment contains for me like the the emotional catharsis and understanding that evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0.1 takes 40 minutes of fabulous psychedelic mind fuckery to express yeah and and, and it's and, so clean but not clean ah oh, celine stop it oh. when portrait came out i saw portrait a couple times a couple times in theaters like this is obviously a great movie yeah I'm just kind of like not getting out of it what some people are getting out of it, and that's that, and that's because like I've never been in a relationship. Like yeah. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't have like a connection to those feelings. But but like what Scum is getting at here about like like that specific thing about like not being able to say goodbye to your grandmother and and feeling that that you might not be able to say goodbye to your parents is like that's something that like fucking happened to me. That that is like that is a feeling that I identify with very very strongly, and I've I was just like just fucking full-on crying in a movie theater yeah. on, on like the first day i was allowed out of the house by yeah. the government yeah you know it's like it is it, it is it is as we've been talking about it for the last like five to ten minutes i've been on the verge of tears for a large portion of it it, it is like i'm gonna have to keep watching this movie all the time forever it is so special it is so beautiful uh thank you celine like summer of soul 
I cannot think of a person who would not like this, yeah. who would not get something out of this film. I think even, you know, fucking Nikolai Ceausescu <laughs> would get something out of this film and then lie and say he didn't, you know? Yeah. Like, Donald Trump Jr. would see this have a breakdown and then pretend he hated it because it was woke because it has subtitles. But yeah. And, and, and women. And most importantly, it's under 80 minutes. <laughs> like I, I, it is I, shorter than some, it's shorter than the call the midwife Christmas special. <laughs> and, and that only has a wedding to sort out. I have no idea how she did it. Just by trust in the craft. Yeah. Just by, just by doing the job really well, knowing she wanted to, what she wanted to say, working out how to say it. It's a blessing to be alive at a time when Celine Sharma is making new films. Yeah. But I feel that like, uh, that, that sounds like I don't think that like I would equally say that. Like my review of the French Dispatch is how good are new Wes Anderson films? Yes. So great that we get new Wes Anderson films. Yeah, I, I, and I think Soderbergh and, you know. Yeah, I think uh, uh, just after the French Dispatch was released here, there was an interview, I think, with like, either Adam Stockhausen or, or Robert Yeoman where they're talking about how like they've already like finished shooting Wes's next film they're about to start filming his one after that and I think I, I, I tweeted that image of Danny's sister from Midsummer with the hose going into her mouth but the sister is labelled me and the hose is labelled <laughs> Wes Anderson's unique brand of cynical whimsy Petite Mama and the French Dispatch, the two films that when I left them, I wanted to, you know, run through the streets telling people I love them. Yeah. I wanted to hold the people who I care about. And like uh, Avon Galleon, I had the same level of emotional response, but it was uh, all, uh, much more complicated. It has been an incredible year uh, for film. Yeah. Uh, next year looks to be equally incredible. Fan. Yes. Where can people find you online? <sighs> Who fucking No, cares? shut up. Wait. Paddington. What's he doing? What's his big final number? Oh, no. He's doing the bathroom flooding bit, <laughs> but it's a uh, a swimming. It's like a ta the whole stage is a tank. Oh, my God. There must be tr millions of liters of water. What's he He's doing like an underwater ballet. Holy shit. And uh, Teller is in there. They're doing the underwater escape plus card trick routine. Yeah, and Sally Phillips is in there both saving Paddington and boning the fish man. And also Leia Sadu as a child is under there being ice and she's being shot at. And you're just and like, like, you're like, how are all those bullets missing her? But also like, uh, okay, I get it. Okay, Kerry Fukunaga, I guess just make the coolest looking film ever is a pretty good high concept for a James yeah. Bond film. Anyway. Ah, uh, okay, he's fine. He oh, was he was wearing a scuba mask the whole time, but it was made of uh, Cyberman metal, so it won't show under dark water. Uh, and that's right, the Civic Theatre, run by Missy, the female <laughs> incarnation of the master. Anyway, okay, so we can't find you online. No, I'm I'm nowhere to be found. What about what about the what about the show? Of a show? Yeah. Oh, the show's on Twitter at <laughs> ShiteSoundPod. Or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Uh, why not check out our website? It is at ShiteAndSound.com. I am on Twitter and Instagram as Youth Lives. Put 
bit.ly in front of that and you'll sign up for my newsletter. I've got another podcast called The Slow Path. It's a relationship podcast where me and uh, my Leia Sadu Briar watch Doctor Who until we June or at another round and the other is is called the witching house it's an anthology of eerie audio adventures like like old <laughs> uh, but but with your ears our theme song playing under us right now it's the nux by kazam blam you can check him out on Bandcamp or in several films yeah cousins or the power of the dog what are we watching next week finn uh, next week is stalker Oh, mate. By Andre Tarkovsky. It, it's a goodie. It's kind of the opposite of Petite Mama. Uh, it's the beginning. For us, it's the past. Uh, it's last year. But for now, but for you listening, it is, it's, it's 2022. Uh, uh, I hope you, ha- I hope this year is kind to you. Uh, welcome to the new year uh, thanks for listening uh, if you like the show and if you're this far even if you say you don't you do uh, tell your friends we are an acquired taste it would be great if more people could acquire it but also like I just spoke for nine hours <laughs> with one of my good friends about all the good films of the year and like we happened to record it so it's not like it's not like do it yeah but, but it's not like a major loss for us if you don't movies are good especially Petite Mama Another Round June The Last Duel The French Dispatch The Green Knight The Matrix Resurrections The Power of the Dog The Father The Nest No Sudden Move Judas and the Black Messiah Evangelion 3 Plus 1 Peg Summer of Soul James and Icy Go watch him.
the end of the credits. Yeah. Okay, we can do it now. Worst film. <laughs> oh, All okay. right. Who, who's going first? You go first. Great. No, I, the, the, the parents are away. Okay, no so one can hear us. I, as I said earlier, maybe last episode, I tried to uh, not watch as many uh, bad movies uh, this yeah. year. So uh, so all the all the stuff I watched that was bad was uh, accidental, except yeah. for the worst movie, which I knew was going to be bad. Uh, the fifth worst movie for me is Chaos Walking. Not a complete disaster, but just like... A not, failure. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, just, an abject failure on almost every front, with the exception of Mads. Yeah, like, it's bad, it's bad Tom yeah. Holland. Like, it doesn't build that world out well enough, blah, blah, blah. Every idea it has is the wrong idea on how to adapt that thing. Uh, number four, the United States versus Billy Holiday. Uh, Lee, Lee Daniels, not a uh, particularly great director. Yeah. He's, he's got a lot of tricks. Yeah. And he likes to throw them in. Uh, I don't think any of those tricks really work. Uh, I, I think, I think the lead performance by Andrew Day is, uh, is, is, is really good. And, uh, the film does not, uh, support her. Oh man, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, number three is Lapsus. Yeah. Also uh, on my list. Yeah. This is, uh, probably the most uh, frustrating theater experience I've had this year is what is watching this. Uh, Lapsus is a uh, low budget, although not as low budget as you might expect. No. Uh, uh, in, indie film. I, it's, I, it's sort of a, sort of, sort of a black mirror-y uh, tale of, uh, of capitalist exploitation. A, yeah. bit, a bit of a, a bit of a technological fable. Like all good fables, it keeps explaining itself over and over and over again and it, saying, Hey, here, here's our one idea. And then yeah. five minutes later going, Here's a different scene about that one idea. It's like the show. If the show didn't have three good idea, three good new ideas in each scene. Yeah, Lapsus is like that David Lynch quote about all you need to make a movie is like is like seventy different ideas for scenes. And this guy didn't have that, so he said, "What if I just did one scene seventy times?" It was uh, as I watched it, I was convinced of two things: one, it was obviously a first film, <laughs> and b, it was like a digi feature made for like twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, maybe ten or maybe like $500 you know on someone's camera and it looks good for that and for the swings it takes are uh, great great as a first feature it is not a first feature it costs more than that yeah. so it does it manages to squander a six fig- figure budget and make it look cheap and it manages to be amateurish for someone who has made multiple features of yeah. both of both fiction and documentary uh, my number two is Cinderella uh, I found it irritating and I didn't like any of the characters or, or the songs. Uh, I found it lackluster as a musical. Uh, there's a whole episode about it. Uh, I did I did not like that film. I mean, uh, number one, my worst film of the year. Um, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Tom Holland. It's Cherry uh, mm. by uh, Joe and Anthony Russo. Uh, what a fucking disaster. <laughs> I, I, have, I have never seen anyone squander this level of critical and financial goodwill as hard as the Russos have. It's an adaptation of a book about a guy who was like, joined the army really young and then got out and got addicted to heroin and became a bank robber or whatever. It is so clearly the Russo brothers being angry about Scorsese being mean about their movie, which he wasn't even mean about because he's never seen it. And them saying... Oh, we, 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 we can make it. We can, we can make a serious, like, stylish adult drama. We, we, we can do it. We, I'll, I'll prove to you we can. And then they, they made this, a movie where every instance of, of their, like, flashy style feels so empty and so pointless. And all the performances, like, uh, so some people like Jack Rayner in this movie. I don't. 
But we feel like two lead performances by Tom Holland and Sierra Bravo are so misjudged. Like, Tom Holland has never felt more like a 15-year-old than in this movie where he is, you know, playing from, like, 17 to, like, 30-something. <laughs> like, he, he feels like a child of the entire movie. None of the scenes land. My, my, my main takeaway was, man, just, like... Do, do you guys remember how how good the how good the Russos were at uh, directing twenty two minute episodes of of, t- of television shows? Like yeah. th- this, like Cherry does not have the, um, the, the 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 drama, the emotion, the action, the like realistic uh, character development of the pilot of Community. <laughs> um, I, I have not seen it. I, I can I cannot judge my list. I have lapses and chaos walking on it mm. as well. Uh, my son, which is more of an interesting failure. That's the film where James McAvoy didn't know what was going to happen, so okay. he had to improvise. It fundamentally doesn't work in a right. way. The whole film is compromised in a way where you're like, why? And the weird thing is, is it's a remake. They made a film. This director made this film in French, right, doing yeah. this thing, and you're like. I, I that must have worked because this you're just like I'm staunchly pro James yeah. McAvoy. Uh, he can't improvise dialogue. <laughs> but my worst film is Free Guy. Right, uh, yeah. Free Guy, uh, which is where Deadpool Lego movies, but he's inside a Fortnite Grand Theft Auto. I don't want to dwell on it. I just think it's sad and vacuous. It's a waste of everyone's talents, mainly only Jodie Comer. The real thing, the thing I want to dwell on is that this is, as as much as like Black Widow is just a smear of pixels, like there's some charm going on in it. Uh, and there is a sense of how to shoot action. And, mm. and the same is true of, of, of Shang-Chi. And I understand uh, Eternals, not that I have seen it. This, it's directed by Sean Levy, who is yeah. a comedy director. Yeah, who, and, who, who directed one of the first movies we ever covered, Yeah, The Pink Panther. It is so transparently obvious that he was just like okay i've got a second unit cg team for all the stunt stuff they'll just do that i'll focus on the joke stuff and so what you get is a bland boring uninspired comedy where deadpool lego movies within a Fortnite grand theft auto yeah but but you've also got taika waititi there doing doing his brilliant improvs yeah, as someone who grew up in Wellington in the 90s and, and aughts, I'm very well aware of what Taika Waititi, drunk, drunk on his own farts, uh, riffing and not being as funny as he thinks he is, is like. You know, that, 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 that smells like home to me. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Red Notice is probably worse, yeah, but I, I, I don't fully believe that film exists. I, I my uh, dad, oh, like, only watches bad movies, basically. Him and his partner were going to watch Red Notice, and they're like, hey, Finn, you want to watch Red Notice with us? And I said, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to watch that movie. <laughs> and then they, they, they went into the living room to watch it. I walked in, like, an hour and a half in, just in time to see this, this scene where, where Ed Sheeran is being dragged off stage by, like, guards or something, and he starts shouting, like, don't you know who I am? I'm Ed Sheeran, bitch! And then the, the, the next day, there was a tweet from a, a Netflix uh, film account. It was like a picture of Ed Sheeran in that scene. And I was like, Ed Sheeran's instantly iconic scene in Red Notice. It was like, I don't know. It seems like it seems like that scene fucking sucked. <laughs> like, it's not even as good as his scene in Yesterday. Yeah, where at least he gets to say one of the greatest lines <laughs> yes. in all of dialogue, which is, people always told me that one day I would find a songwriter who's as good as I am. Yeah. I never thought it would be you. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway, 
it's everything people hysterically yell about the end of cinema yeah. being whereas like like i am sure that when i eventually see spider-man 9 or whatever it is or 10 because got to count venom and i'm sure i like that is a charming cast mm. uh that director knows how to like i'm sure i will enjoy it yeah. whereas free guy is like is is just the soiling of films. It's like here are the ingredients of successful film. They're right. It was it was a successful film, not not creatively or artistically, but in terms of uh, terms of getting money from uh, from idiots, it did it did a great job. I don't even think idiots though. I don't I don't I don't think framing it because here is the thing: C- civilians, Sven. Like the problem uh, of of the mechanization of film. Is that, yeah, it works and it works because they're repeating fundamentally good things. Do you know what I mean? Like as much as he is now, uh, I would say the bright star on the face of the fist punching cinema to death. Like Ryan Reynolds at one point was a genuinely charming and fresh screen presence. Sure, yeah. Every idea in Free Guy at some point was good and like having a lightsaber. It's, it's just, pr- it's, yeah. Those are the worst films. See you next week. Actually, no. One second. I'm just going to speak for a little longer. Just come on. Just a little more time. Yeah. But, okay. What's 15 more seconds I can say? Uh, oh, I can do uh, Venom. Do you against fear. No, I'll do uh, uh, Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. Uh, that film is really fucking weird and feels really short, like they yeah, cut I, something I, 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 out I, I, of it. Nine hours precisely. I want to see Venom 2 so I could give Tom Hardy Best Actor Oscar, but, or Best Actor Award, but, you know. What, what the, like, Venom 2 is kind of neither here nor there. Like, like he's doing wacky stuff. It's nice that it's almost dead on 90 and they are clearly aiming for it to be a really tight film and like that was always the plan so i was like here's a taut tight film yeah and what i don't think they accounted for is that most taut tight films uh have stuff to cut and tighten and so this it just feels it feels like and this isn't true but it feels like a film where a major subplot has been cut out right it feels like something has happened to it it feels compromised when what it is 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 that it's it it just feels incomplete um yeah anyway i'm gonna i can stop the recording now Oh my god. Oh my god. Take that, Claude Landsman.